1: Enter a new section in John. This new section could be titled, is titled High Intensity Hatred. Chapter seven through ten are the chapters where things are really getting heated. Chapter seven through ten are the last six months of Jesus' public ministry. Up till now, the hatred toward Jesus has been smoldering. But now in these chapters. That hatred comes to a full flame. Chapter 7 doesn't have a lot of theology like chapter 6. Chapter 7 doesn't have a lot of doctrine like chapter 6. Chapter 7 sets the stage for the antagonism and the strife toward Jesus. Got a pen? I've titled this sermon, High Intensity Hatred. John chapter 7, saints, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say amen. Amen. Some of y'all ain't looking. Chapter 7, verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Well, after these things, much better. Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even in verse 5, his brothers, what saints, did not believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast. My time is not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. And then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining and murmuring among the people concerning him, saying he's a good guy. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. saying, stop right there, give me your attention. If you've been with us in John, you know that John's message is clear and simple and uncluttered. On every page, in every chapter, in every incident, John's purpose is to cause us to believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. So you turn the page, and there it is again, Jesus is God. You turn the page, and there it is again, Jesus is God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is not one of many gods Jesus is not a lesser God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is 100% man and what? 100% God in human body. And we see that on every page in chapter 7 is no different. Well, verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not walk in Judea because the Jews wanted to kill him. Now, I really like this verse because I think we learn a lot about Jesus From this verse, already we have a great example from Jesus that Jesus is one to avoid controversy. Jesus is not trying to start anything with anybody. They're trying to start with Jesus. Jesus is not looking for a fight. You know, some Christians, they always up for a good fight, aren't they? Don't you know people like that? Who are you? stand up. You know you're here. Some Christians are always up for a good fight. And if they can't find one, they'll start one. They love to fight over doctrine and five-point Calvinism, eternal security, election, and sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of man. Listen, God doesn't want us to be fighting as Christians. And can you please say amen right there? God does not want us to be fighting as Christians. And God doesn't want us to be angry Christians. We're called to be sheep, not Lambo. I'm a preach, hold on. We're called to be sheep. We should love God and love his people and love each other. Say amen. Live peaceably with each other. Romans, I got it for you on the screen. Romans chapter 12. Come on, y'all, too quiet for me. Come on, read it with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And don't get me wrong, I realize there are some people you just can't get along with. You ever meet people like that? You just cannot get along with them, they always look mean. Some folks look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. When you see me, like, how you doing, brother? Well, That's the Lord, on oh, my soul. Look like they've been baptized. Some folks, you just cannot get along with some folks. They want to argue. They want to fight. It was Chuck Swindoll who said to dwell above with saints we love. Well, that will be grace and glory to live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story, and that's true. Sometimes it's hard to live below with saints we know, but we're called to be peacemakers, not controversy seekers. Christians ought to be peacemakers. Why? Because Jesus said we are blessed when we're peacemakers, Matthew chapter 5. We should be peacemakers because we serve a God of peace. Did you know that? Our God is a God of peace. The Bible begins with peace in the garden and ends with peace in eternity, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, and the prince of, anybody know? Peace. The cross of Jesus brings people together and makes peace possible. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, Romans ten fifteen. Jesus didn't walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him avoiding controversy. Notice in verse 2 in your Bibles, it tells us it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, on the Jewish calendar, if you have a pen, you might want to write this down. On the Jewish calendar, there were three major feasts of which every Jewish male was required to attend. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks and it commemorates God's provision at harvest time. The Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread sounds like two feasts, but actually it was one feast celebrated during an eight-day period. Passover was celebrated one day, the 14th day of Nisan, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrated seven days, from the 15th to the 21st of Nisan. Both feasts were so closely related that the whole period became known as Passover, which was a time to remember the deliverance from Egypt. And then you had the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booze. For eight days, the people would camp out. They would like have like pup tents or something, and they would camp out under the stars, and they would remember the wilderness wandering, and moms and dads would uh, get this scene in your mind's eye. Moms and dads would uh, lay under, on the grass outside and just look up in the sky and, and, and talk to their kids. And they would tell the children about the miracles during the wilderness wandering. And they would tell the kids and, of how God provided water from a rock and how God provided, what is it? Manna from heaven to eat every day. They would tell the kids how God led them through the wilderness by day in a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll talk more about the Feast of Tabernacles later in chapter seven, but for now, suffice it to say, to commemorate the Feast of Tabernacles, they would go and process to get this miracle water, the priest would, and they would go draw this water in his golden pitchers, Josephus, Flavius Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, not a Christian, uh, records that they needed a minimum of 246 priests f- per week for this feast. Those 246 priests represented every priestly family in Israel. The priests would take the pitcher and hike it up on their shoulders, and then they would climb the temple mount, and they would join the other priests. All this is happening during the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're going to talk about this more when we get around verse 37. That's where Jesus pours the water out, and he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, and I'll give him living water. He'll never thirst again. Fabulous. Read it. I'm ahead of myself. The priest would hike up the pitcher of water on his shoulder and climb the temple steps and joined the other priest around the altar. And then they would pour the water around the base of the altar. And at the same time that the priest were pouring the water around the base of the altar, another priest is reading Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then after reading, the priest would begin to sing the Hallel songs of praise. The Levites would play flutes and tambourines and celebration. This was a high time in Israel. We'll talk a little bit more as I said. So it's during this time when Israel has swelled with numbers of people there to celebrate the feast that the hatred and the animosity toward Jesus is also swelling and growing and plans are being made to kill him. Look at verse three. It tells us that Jesus' brothers said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples or followers, remember last week I told you disciples does not represent the 12. Disciples meant what? Followers or students or learners. So Jesus had hundreds, maybe thousands of followers. So his brother said, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you're doing. Notice the Bible tells us that his Brothers said that. Now, I was raised in Catholic school, as many of you know. And um, my mom was actually here this week for vacation Bible school. And she was actually here second service. And they took off uh, right now. And they're driving back to Philadelphia. And uh, I was talking to y'all and her about uh, when I was in Catholic school. And uh, now I'm 52 years old. And uh, in Catholic school, uh, back then, was a lot of money. Uh, My mom uh, packed hot dogs uh, in a freezer for 30 years. My mom worked in a freezer for 30 years. And she was sitting here just last service. She looked good. And uh, she packed hot dogs for 30 years. And she packed those hot dogs so that we could go to Catholic school and get a good education and um and uh i remember back then catholic it was expensive and i you know i just always remember i don't know you know this is like a little side note i don't know where people today get this ungratefulness toward their parents you have no idea what your parents sacrificed to get you what you want and to get you what you need and to get you soccer, and all the stuff that you got to play, and the registration fees, and the school ring, and the pictures, and all that, your parents sacrifice a lot. You need to be thanking your mom and dad. Parents, you can thank me later, and uh, because I'm trying to help you. I got your back, okay? And uh, But my mom, she packed hot dogs, ballpark franks. Remember those? You plump when you cook them? You remember those hot dogs? I'm telling y'all, we didn't have no food in the refrigerator, but we had hot dogs. I'll never forget it. We had no food because we we were relatively poor. I mean, my mom was working, paying the bills, but we were relatively poor. And uh, her boss used to let her bring home a case of hot dogs, you know, because we didn't have the money. And uh, so, poor. I'm telling you what, I hate hot dogs to this day, (laughs) to this day. Let me tell you something. If there ain't nothing to eat, I will starve. If all there is is hot dogs, I will starve. I will not eat a hot dog. Don't show me a hot dog. I can't stand them. I don't even like 4th of July because they're associated with hot dogs. <laughs> I don't even like it. So uh, I digress. And, uh, but yeah, my mom, she put us to school. In Catholic school, I remember learning that you know, Mary was a perpetual virgin and that Mary didn't, didn't have any more children. And, 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 and notice from the scripture, it tells us Jesus' brothers, his brothers, So I was taught, and Catholics teach, that Mary was a perpetual virgin, having no more children. Well, that's not right. The Bible is clear that Mary has several more children. As a matter of fact, I have the verse for you on the screen. In Matthew 13, 55, it says... Is this not the carpenter's son? Come on, y'all too quiet for me. Read it with me. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the mother called Mary? I need to read. And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And, and that's not Judas Iscariot. And uh, Mary had other children. And and there's no reason to believe that Mary wouldn't have other children, even from a cultural standpoint, because in Jewish culture, it was frowned upon if a woman uh, didn't have uh, several children. So Mary had other children, which means that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Jesus had at least uh, six other siblings and seven children, including himself. And, you know, sometimes our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, they, they try to get around uh, this word brother, and they say it means cousin. They say it means cousin. And uh, listen, I don't, I'm not a professor. I, I don't have a, a MDiv after my name. I don't have a DD, uh, a DIV, a DVD, or any other D after my name, but I will tell you this. I do know this. When God wants to tell you something, he knows the right word to use. Amen. God knows the right word. When God is speaking of cousins, God says, cousins. Say amen. amen. Luke 1.36, talking about Mary and Elizabeth being Cousins. When the Bible wants to say brothers and sisters, guess what it says? Brothers and sisters. God is able to distinguish family relationships. Stop making it hard. Jesus is the older brother. And then Mary had other children. Can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? He's walking around the house. I'm the Messiah. I want y'all to know. You know how you do with your brothers and sisters. You get them all in the room, you know. All right, everybody sit down. I'm the older brother. I want to tell you all something. Write it down. I am the Messiah. And I will not be cleaning the kitchen. Because I'm the Messiah. Okay? No objections. Or I'll... And of course, you know, your, your older brother walking around claiming he's the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. And I'm Randy Jackson. <laughs> and then, of course, after the resurrection, now post-resurrection, I bet you all that changed. They probably like, oh, I knew something was different about him. I'm the one that thought he was special. I knew he was special. Yeah, I knew something was different about that guy. His brothers, noticed in the text, said, why don't you go to Judea, look at it that your disciples may see the work that you're doing. In other words, why don't you show off a bit and do some tricks and show everybody that you are who you say you are? Look at verse 4. No one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now let's get this thing together. The feast is going on. The brothers say, Jesus, let's go up to Jerusalem so all the people who were following, because a bunch of them had left, remember? But let's go show them so they can see the stuff you do. And there's a lot of speculation as to why they wanted Jesus to show himself. Some say his brothers were impatient for him to show his glory. I don't think that's correct because verse 5 tells us they didn't believe in him. Some say they actually hated Jesus, his brothers hated him and wanted to see him fall into enemies' hands. I don't think that's correct. That doesn't sound consistent with the Gospels. We really honestly don't know why they wanted him to show himself, but I think for two reasons, maybe, here's my speculation. I think, number one, it's possible they wanted to see some miracles themselves. They're thinking, well, if Jesus, if Jerusalem accepts him, that might be proof for them. I think secondly, I believe, listen, secretly, in their hearts, they couldn't deny his power. Think about it. You can't live with someone and not really know them. They lived with Jesus and they saw his power. And maybe they were at breakfast and they ran out of Fruit Loops and all of a sudden they realize the fruit loops are multiplying. They got to the bottom of the box, they keep pouring, they keep pouring, they keep coming, they keep coming. And they even have twelve boxes of fruit loops left over. Chapter six. They're thinking, hmm, this is a strange box of fruit loops. He's their brother, they knew his power. Maybe they were hoping he would go to Jerusalem to do some stuff and become famous. And now they have a famous popular brother and with fame comes perks. Backstage passes, never wait for a table for dinner, big brother perks. If Jesus goes public with the miracle ministry, then the popularity will increase and popularity and power for their brothers will also increase. We don't know. So they said, Jesus, do your miracles in Jerusalem. Go up there. Why are you wandering around in the boondocks in Galilee? If you really are who you say you are, go and prove it to the mucky mucks in Jerusalem. Now understand something. Listen, this is a principle that is woven all the way through Scripture. Write it down. Jesus never, ever, no, not ever operates on sensation. He never operates on pure emotion. He always operates on teaching, 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 and making disciples. Jesus was never trying to prove anything to the thrill seekers. Because today's thrill seekers is tomorrow a drag a bummer, played out, and then you got to come up with another thrill. That's the problem in the secret church. Were you with me last week? Raise your hand. Were you with me last week? Okay, you know we were talking about secret churches. And seeker churches tend, their, their goal is to not offend anyone who is a non-believer. So they take out words like sin and repentance and blood because that's yucky stuff. We don't want to talk about that because that might offend the non-believer. And they're seeker churches. They, they, they set up their services so that they appeal to the seeker. And so they've got thrills and they got lights and they got smoke coming up on the stage in, 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 in the same. Y'all been to church like that where doing worship smoke is coming up and the lights are going to the music da 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 dancing bears, da 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 Oh, when you do that, well then you gotta you gotta do more. Thrills next week. Jesus wasn't into that kind of thing. Today's seeker churches are popular. Tomorrow they're played out. They're corny. Heaven and earth, the Bible says, shall pass away. But the B-I-B-L-E shall endure for how long? For, come on, clap your hands and say amen. <laughs> Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. I'm going to Ireland in two, when are we leave for Ireland? Two weeks? Uh, two, two and a half weeks? One and a half? We leaving in one and a half weeks? I better get ready. And um, <laughs> we're going to Ireland, and I'm going to talk to some leaders and some pastors, and you know, the thing I want to tell them is avoid the gimmicks because the gimmicks come and go. God's word endures forever. Listen, I don't give you eight or 80. <laughs> gimmicks come and go. God's word endures forever. Gimmicks come and go. God's word endures how long? Forever. That's why we teach the Bible here at Calvary Chapel.